I buy smaller quantity so that it sells out. Even if let's say it's not like a super duper hit product, it sells out fast enough that people feel that okay, I need to buy this now. And then I'm able to. So I get new products pretty much every month, if not twice a month. So people are constantly coming back to my website because they know there'll be something new. This is Get Shit Done, a show about female entrepreneurs who are not willing to settle for four percent, and the stories and steps they took to scale their companies to the top through traction by getting shit done and growing on their own terms. Welcome back to the Get Shit Done Podcast, Queens. I'm your host, Alex Batdorf, aka Chief Get Shit Done Officer. We are the originators of the Fuck 4% movement. And when we say 4%, we're talking about the total revenues that female founded companies currently generate. We deserve better, we can do better, and we will together. I have been obsessed with brand and brand marketing since undergrad when I did my sociology thesis on the connection between the luxury fashion industry and how they were trying to make themselves relevant with the masses, which up until that point, it had been so exclusionary. That's what they sold themselves on. But then you had the rise of the Versace and H&M collaborations, so on and so forth. And it made me realize how much of an impact brands could have within cultural conversations. And it seems like the shift has been happening for about a decade now because consumers are more and more inclined to wanting the things that they are consuming to stand for something. So you started seeing a lot of faux authenticity popping up too, like the Pepsi Kindle type of collaborations where it was so tone deaf and consumers are not about it. And you get a massive backlash when that happens as it should be because ain't nobody got time for a bandwagon brand. When I think of brands that carefully curate their way into conversations, I think of the Nikes, the Apples, the Patagonias, and the Uncle Nearest. And if you haven't yet, check out the episode we did with Uncle Nearest founder Fawn Weaver, who has created the fastest Black-owned whiskey brand in history. And she's done this by carefully curating the brand into culturally relevant moments and conversations. And similar to Fawn, Jaya Halepit Ayer, founder of Svaha, has grown her brand by keeping it culturally relevant in a way that is authentic. So that's what you're going to learn from Jaya today, how she scaled her e-commerce company to seven figures, bootstrapped. So you know the drill, get ready to take all the notes. And if you haven't yet, make sure to click subscribe so you know when episodes drop so you can get free traction tips from queens like Jaya every week. And make sure to head on over to rate and review our podcast. This really helps us serve more queens like you in slaying your way to traction. And if you're looking for more support on your scaling journey, head on over to shegetshitdone.com slash join to join the fuck 4% movement of women gaining traction and growing on their own terms. And while you're there, you can learn more about our Superpower Scaling School, which are short traction-packed e-courses and our Traction Accelerator program for women entrepreneurs. And special shout out to Get Shit Done Comrades, AppSumo, for sponsoring this episode and getting in the trenches to support women entrepreneurs. Head on over to the show notes and stay tuned through the episode because AppSumo has a little gift for Get Shit Done Queens. But you can do all that while you learn these traction tips from Queen Jaya Halepit Ayer. Jaya, welcome to Get Shit Done. Hi, I'm, I'm really excited to be here. I love to start with, you know, really the why. So can you walk our, walk our audience through, you know, what were you doing before starting Spaha and, you know, why did you even start it? So I was in academia. I was actually an assistant professor at a university here in Arlington, Virginia. I used to teach fashion merchandising. That was, that, that's been my background for, that's what I did my master's and PhD in. Then after that, I decided I wanted to move to the industry. And so I joined Think Geek as a buyer. Then in, in between though, I took a couple of years off and I tried a few different ventures and I failed in uh, two of them. And the third one, I did do stuff, but it didn't really take off. And so I, I, then I decided to join the industry and I joined Think Geek as a buyer. It's a 
very geeky, nerdy kind of place where people, and I, I was the apparel buyer over there. And then after that, I had, my kids were young, and then I decided that I wanted to be at home. So I took some time off and I decided to spend, uh, you know, be, just be a mom and be with around them for as long as I could be. You know, the mom guilt kicked in that I wasn't spending enough time with my kids. And that's what I was doing. And during that phase is when I used to take my kids to the Air and Space Museum in DC, and they absolutely loved going there. And I think that developed a curiosity in them. My, my son decided he wanted to be a fighter pilot, and my daughter decided she wanted to, be, uh, wanted to be an astronaut. That's when, you know, I started trying to buy them clothes to show them, uh, you know, that it's, see, you can get fighter, fighter plane shirts. And he, he, my son loved wearing that. And that's when my daughter was like, hey, wait a minute, why are you not buying me astronaut t-shirts? And I said, yeah, yeah, of course, I'll buy it for you. And then I start looking and I can't find, I couldn't find any because apparently they were only, astronauts were only for boy, like only a boy could dream to be an astronaut. So that's when I was like, okay, this is like my aha moment, right? I was like, okay, I, I need to do something. I'm from the industry. I know how to go about making this happen. And I'm not working right now. So this would probably be a good time to get started on something that I thought was missing from the market. And that's when I decided to start the company. Incredible. I posted, you know, in this women entrepreneurs group, because I really wanted to learn from, you know, and learn about more women who had scaled to a million and beyond without venture capital, because I think that the space is unindated with those stories. And that is just as significant, but, you know, there's way more people, 99% to be exact, that will not raise and go that route. And so it's so important that women can see people like you. And you were one of the people that raised your hand and said, yeah, I've gotten to the million dollar mark. And so something that stood out to me was you said, A, you were able to do it by year three. And you attributed it to a couple things. But the first thing you said was, the particular niche that you went after and you started alluding to this, you know, with your kids and astronauts and whatnot, but why do you think this niche was so popular and what is specifically that niche? So I, I believe that the, the, it just so happened that this was the time that there has been so much more about this women empowerment and women can do anything that they want to do. All of this movement, I would say has, has kind of been, happening around the same time so i feel like what i started doing it was just uh, it, it happened at the right time there was so much need for women to say that hey if i want to be a coder so what if i'm the only coder among 200 men i still want to be a coder because that's what i enjoy doing that's what i'm good at and that's what i want to do and that's what i want my profession to be so when i launched my women's line for example I did it through a Kickstarter campaign and my Kickstarter got funded within two and a half days. Wow. Uh, and then it went on to raise more than double of what I had actually initially wanted to raise. How much did you want to I raise? Was, I think it was 30,000 and I ended up uh, raising 60 something. There's definitely demand there. Wow. Exactly. And, and I had five dresses. One was science themed, technology, engineering, art, and math theme. So it was the STEAM theme. Right. And that's the when women started. Yeah. <laughs> we call them the steam angels, you know, like Charlie's angels. Yes, I love <laughs> this. Okay. I'm, I'm like falling in love. Okay, great. <laughs> so what happened was, uh, that's when a lot of women started coming out and saying that, hey, you know, I'm a scientist and I'm supposed to dress a certain way because there are more male scientists in my office and in my lab. And I, I don't want to. I want to wear a dress and I still want to show that I can be feminine and I can still be a scientist uh, or I can, mm. I can be feminine and I can still be a coder. And I think this, this whole uh, movement of women saying that we should not be defined by our gender or we should not be defined by what we see around us. We should want to do whatever we want to do. And I think that I was able to cater to this population and this population is growing at a very fast pace where Girls are saying, hey, you know, if I want to be a firefighter, I should be, I should, it should be okay. Firefighters can't just be all men. Why can't a woman be a firefighter? You know, <laughs> something as simple as that. I think that's where it all began. And I managed to find out 
through my research that there was nobody catering to this population of independent and women who wanted to do what they loved and not care about the stereotypes that existed and i was able to create products for this population and that's how i found this niche you know and i was able to go after them and they absolutely loved it wow so in because you you were them too you so exactly. it reson- it resonated with you that stood out so much to me because you know i have always been you know what my mom says you're you're pretty tough <laughs> I've always been a, a quote unquote girly girl, which I don't even like that term because it it's saying, you know, what well, women aren't just one way. We're very multidimensional, but we have been socialized to think, well, you are if you're like this, you're this girl or if you're like this, you're that girl. And even in the tech world, like when I, you know, was raising capital in my first business and even my second business, I, I tell people what helped me on my journey was to set boundaries for myself and say, here's what I will not compromise. I'm never going to compromise who I am. So even though the tech bro is going in with flip flops and a hoodie and jeans, I'm like, I'm not going to conform who I am. So I might go in with my ripped jeans, but they're going to be like tight ripped jeans. And then I might have a crop top and like a cool, like boho thing with my big curly Afro. But I said, I I'm not going to be put in your box in order to quote unquote win at this game. And I think that's what you tapped into with that specific niche is saying, do not try to put me in a box because I am this, but I'm also that. And I'm that and I'm this, but I'm all the things. So I love, love, love that you were able to tap into that sentiment. And I think that's a a huge, huge reason why you you saw double what you thought you were going to get in terms of your crowdfunding. So you had mentioned, actually, let's take a step back. What happened next? What happened after the crowdfunding campaign? What did you end up doing? You said you had five, you had already had the five different dresses, but what, what happened after raising that 60000 So I was able to raise 60000 and then I was able to manufacture for much less and be able to then invest the extra money that I had back into the business to grow this line. And I think it was just a good timing or, you know, it was just something that was going right with my business. Around that same time, the women's, the March for Science happened. Are you, are you aware of that? The one that happened in DC? No, I'm not actually. Uh, so it was, it's an, it's an organization called Women's Science Organization. And they did March for Science in DC. It was like a humongous gathering of women who were in science. They were saying that we should be all for science and there should be more funding for everything related to science and things like that. And that's when we managed to partner with this organization and say that, hey, you know, we will donate money to your organization. And it's so weird that within the one month, we had nothing left on our shelves. We sold every single piece of dress that we had in our warehouse wow because all these women who wanted to go for this march wanted to dress up showing that they were scientists or they were you know in technology or whatever like anybody who believed in science right we sold out of everything i think that's what kind of helped us get this whole new group of customers and pretty much uh, you know that's that's when we easily hit the million dollar mark because we we would bring stuff in it would sell out we would bring it in it would sell out because people were like you know what if i want i can show my love for what i do through my clothing i definitely want to and so there are uh, my biggest customers are educators so they could be college professors they could be school teachers because they say that if i'm teaching you know about dna i want to wear a dna dress <laughs> So I can show the kids that, see, this is how much I love doing what I'm doing. And somehow they say that the kids also feel good about it. That, listen, I mean, if my teacher is so excited about teaching us this, that she's even dressed like that, then we should be listening and, you know, paying attention to what she's saying. So somehow all of that, they, they also help us in starting a conversation. That's another thing that my customers always tell me. They say that if we are wearing a dress and somebody suddenly identifies what the dress print is all about, they start having a conversation with us. So I think that I, I, this group of customers that I was able to find, they, they were so looking for something like this that didn't exist. And I was able to give them that. And that's what helped suddenly scale the business in a big way. I 
I love this because it, it brings up so many different things that, you know, A, that I've had to go through and just other conversations we've had on this podcast. One in particular with Fawn Weaver, she's an incredible, another incredible female entrepreneur who she has the fastest growing whiskey brand in the U.S. She is able to have that type of growth because she has, I mean, she's always in the media. <laughs> like she's always in conversations and she, I think it's 99% of their mentions in the media are, are earned, meaning they have so many different types of storylines going on at once. And why that resonated so much with me from hearing you talk is that you inserted your your company in a conversation that was relevant in the, at that moment. And it was able to then have that ripple effect saying, yes, this complements what we're feeling and also the traction exercises we have our, our, our founders do is, you know, go through the different traction pillars. And that's a great example of viral viral marketing is, you know, people going to South by Southwest and doing like these stunts like Uber or Twitter, or someone ordering a mascot. But what you did, it was like, no, we don't need to be outlandish. We're actually just going to put our products in front of these people who already identify with this and give them that option. That is amazing. So you also mentioned to me that you grew within the first year. Now hearing, you know, what happened, I, I see why 250%, which is, I mean, in, incredible. And you, you attributed this to newness and having new product. And my background is in the fashion tech world. You know, I understand the hurdles of my, my, first, my last company was e-commerce. And that's something that a lot of e-commerce companies struggle with is newness. It's inventory. It's having to come out of pocket for it, but also engage customers because if they've already bought from you and you don't have anything left to offer them, there's not enough newness that you, your opportunity to then get them to order more from you goes down dramatically because they're like, well, what, what would I buy 10 of those things for? Right. So can you walk us through how were you able to manage the newness piece? Cause that is a huge problem for a lot of fashion fashion companies in general, especially when you're going into the e-commerce world where customers are trained now. I want it quick. I want new all the time. So there are two ways of doing this, right? One is if you want to grow your company, that you either keep getting a lot more new customers so that they can, you know, buy, continue, you know, once this group has bought it, then you focus on the second group buying the same product and, and then wait till you get the next lot to start the process again. Or second, when you have a smaller group of customers, then you bring new products. So they keep coming back to you to buy. So luckily for me, I've been able to find factories. I mean, it costs me a little more, but I've been able to find factories that will manufacture less number of units for design because most of the e-commerce companies get stuck because their minimums are very high. They like for one design, they have to order a thousand pieces or 2000 pieces how can you justify buying more when you haven't sold your first lot, right? Unless yes. you mark it down and discount it, but then then your customers know that that's going to happen. They're going to keep waiting for that to happen. And then you'll never make the margins that you then would otherwise. Then you're Macy's. <laughs> then you yeah. become Macy's. <laughs> One day only sale every day, right? I would never yeah. buy anything at Macy's full price because they've now trained me that there will always be a sale. Exactly. And, you know, we, we went through these phases, Right. There was a time uh, when we said, oh, you know, let's buy more because it looks like we are selling more. And then we bought too much. And then we realized, OK, we are not able to sell so much. And then we started having to discount it. And then our customer kept waiting for the discount to happen. And so last year I changed it. I said, you know what? I would rather sell less at full price than train our customers to do these, uh, you know, wait for promotions. Yes, I do offer them free shipping once in a while. I'll offer 20%, but nothing will ever be like all on sale except twice a year, which I think people are realizing this now. So I have been able to find factories where the minimums are less. So I can order a smaller quantity of something. So people know if they don't buy it, they probably never get it. I very rarely like unless a product sells out within a week of me launching it, I will not bring that back. So people know that if they want it, they have to buy it, otherwise they're not going to get it. So the, the sense of urgency develops in that case, right? That they have to buy it as soon as it launches. Yes. And then I buy, I buy smaller quantity so that it sells out. Even if, let's say, it's not like a super duper hit product, 
it sells out fast enough that people feel that okay i need to buy this now and then i'm able to so i get new products pretty much every month if not twice a month so people are constantly coming back to my website because they know there'll be something new yes but you are not putting yourself in a position to take on so much burden of inventory you're saying this is all we have yes and that also increases the demand i yes. love this technique going back to even the the discounting this is one of the worst things that that companies can do and you know especially when you're coming out the gate you're looking at a lot of founders are looking at what other people are doing like especially the behemoths and i'm like they can afford to discount you know because they have the market and so it actually is at to your disadvantage when you're doing too much discounting and something we used to do in my former company is we had one sale a year and it was our black friday to cyber monday sale and it was actually really i think it was pretty genius because we would t- do tier mm-hmm. promotions so it was like you buy one 10% off that's basically like we paid for their taxes right and so the second one was next tier you buy two you get 15% off. Oh, you buy three, you get 25% off. And it incentivized, most people would go with three. Mm -hmm. And it was so great. It was one of our, I mean, November Q4 in retail is usually tremendous, but um, it would incentivize those people because it was that demand. Like I can only get the sale now, but it also didn't discourage them from buying the rest of the year, which was really great. I love, I love that technique. That's amazing. And so Another thing that you mentioned about this particular growth um, and this period was you started on WordPress and you went to Shopify. Can you walk us through, like, what were the challenges for you, particularly with WordPress? Because I know now Shopify is huge. And I know a lot of founders, when they're starting out, they're trying to decide which platform is going to be best. A lot of times if people are doing WordPress, it's because they want to customize more. You can have more capabilities when it comes to coding and things like that, but it sounded like that wasn't a good fit. What what were kind of the hurdles you had? No, actually before WordPress, we had something called Square, Squarespace, I think it was called. Oh Are yeah. Yeah. We're yeah, actually so on Squarespace, but I, it's, I don't are. feel like it's great for e-com. Yeah, definitely not. So we started with that and then we very quickly moved from that to WordPress. But what happened is that we don't have IT person on staff, right? Yep. I mean, I think in, in the way the things are automated these days, you don't need one unless you want to build up your website from scratch. And don't right? do that. I did that in my yeah. last company. Oh, <laughs> no. It was a pain. <laughs> I didn't plan to. We, we built for the future. And even though it worked out, I mean, scale, but if there's anything we could go back and have done differently, we had our CTO focusing so much on bugs, but I'm like, we could have done Shopify and then figured out what needed to be you know, all the, 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 the tweaks and the whatever. So yeah. you're absolutely right. So, so that's exactly what happened with WordPress is that when we were on WordPress, we had like, you know, it was, it was a family friend who was helping us, uh, you know, uh, like create everything. But every day there would be a new problem. And then we would have, I would almost start feeling embarrassed to go and keep asking him, okay, can you help me again today? And can you help me again today? And it just didn't, I said, you know what, if I have to be by myself uh, to have the right speed, to be able to put as many products that I want to. I, I just, you know, at that point, it was like, oh, I have to pay $300 a month. That's a lot of money. But then I said, you know, I have to take this chance. I have to see what I have to do to grow the company. And that's when I said, I'm going to just switch to Shopify. And it was just way, way too many problems on an everyday basis with WordPress. So that's when we moved to Shopify and we saw a huge change we actually saw our daily sales grow so much and this number of lot of different analysis that we could do on Shopify that you know yeah. automatic that's available was like a good thing. There was just so much there was on Shopify that we didn't have on WordPress. So there was it was the best decision that I could have made. We yeah. do still have the issues we have with Shopify is that in Shopify they pretty much tell you, Oh, you want this? Here's oh, the you have to buy for it. <laughs> <laughs> that's the old I was gonna ask you that. <laughs> The number of apps that I have had to deal with is like crazy. And then you constantly have to try and keep looking. Is there a better app available so that, you know, which with, with better things that it offers? Like we recently switched our size chart app. We recently, you know, we, we've just launched our uh, app, like the Swaha mobile app. 
and for that that was another app but it was like in within 3 days i had my mobile app up and running so with technology there is so much that comes with it but yeah the shopify issue is i wish they would actually have something more than just the website you know and not tell us okay keep buying i spend as much on apps as much i do on just shopify yeah <laughs> exactly you know so there's like you said there's a couple of things i really love about shopify the fact that a their their reporting capabilities are on point with like a google analytics they are fantastic yeah. um but then the other side that i i do appreciate is that they have created a market for all these other businesses to pop up because they haven't built out capabilities for it the downside is if you're on shopify and you need the add on so for example one of the the businesses right before i started get shit done that i was interim coo for and we were like okay we need to upsell we need to you know do all these different capabilities and shopify was like oh yep you just have to add that that's an add on and it's like you know 8 bucks a month or however many a month oh you want to do a referral program that's another <laughs> I and I'm like, pay, oh, this is where you guys wake up the more, money. <laughs> I pay more for the referral, like the loyalty program app, than I even pay for Shopify. Can you believe that? For Shopify, yeah. And it, it, they're they're genius because now they've created this marketplace, like you know, the Apple App Store does, where it's like, you want to get this exposure? We have all these businesses on this platform. You're going to pay us a cut. And then they're going to be required if they want that feature to opt into you. It's It's genius but it's also a pain for for the person yeah. that's on it. So I I really do I I do enjoy Shopify but the plugins are are kind of out of this world. I feel like we've joked about the complexity of e-commerce add-ons before because my last company that exited was in e-commerce and I wish we would have been smart enough to just start with something more simple to get started. So I wanted to get advice from my friend Lindsay from AppSumo on more plug and play alternatives to just go. So Lindsay, what do you feel is a good alternative for folks who just want to plug and play and get started? Absolutely. Right now um on AppSumo we have GigGrove. This helps users sell products and services online. It's easy, it's inexpensive. Uh it's a perfect all-in-one solution for just small businesses that want to dive headfirst into e-commerce. I love that. Keep it simple. And something that we talk to our founders about when it comes to scale is setting up systems. This is actually something our team is heavy on right now. And it's because you don't want to keep doing things manually because that's not scalable. So, what would you suggest to founders who want to integrate all of their systems so then that they can scale up? Definitely. I would recommend SyncSpider. This one is a solution that brings all of your e-commerce tools together like you're saying. Obviously, uh you have all of these moving parts like accounting software and CRM and inventory management. So, SyncSpider goes ahead and connects all of your apps so you can automate your processes, automate everything from marketing to fulfillment. You can check out these tools and so many more to help you slay traction at appsumo.com. They are the number one software deal site in the game and have helped so many founders just like you. They're offering Get Shit Done Queens 10% off their first purchase using code Get Shit Done Queen. So sign up, it's free and only takes a few seconds at appsumo.com. another really amazing you know metric that you 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 told me about was in 2020 in middle of a pandemic when in the midst of a global crisis all we're hearing is nothing but doom and gloom for all these businesses which is it's so scary it is so real and there's not a lot of tangible solutions being offered about what's next because if we're saying these companies are the backbone we're not supporting them enough and so i get inspired seeing people like you who said in 2020 alone you grew another 250% which is like where are these stories right and i would love to know like what did you do because i i i i don't want to keep seeing and, and we're not out of this it doesn't seem anytime soon so i don't want 2021 to become a repeat of 2020 so there's something we can offer to more entrepreneurs so they can know how to navigate it's actually 2019 that the growth happened uh, in 20 uh, yeah so 20, 2019 was the growth that you're talking about and 2020 was we managed to increase our mar- margins but the business was able to make as much so our profits increased in 2020 okay. but not our overall revenue 
Oh, that's good. Okay, perfect. So let's take it back then. You were able to see 250% additional growth. Then 2020, still in a pandemic, you were able to increase profits, but you kept the same where a lot of people were dropping or completely going out of business. You attributed that to, you said, what is it? Social media and market? Like what, what were you doing? So we did a lot of things. Uh, One thing is that this was the year when I decided I was not going to have as many sales that I was having before. Amen. Uh, So what would happen is we would have this, you know, sales target for every month. And then if we would get to the third week and we have not reached the sales target, we would all panic. And then we would be like, oh, let's do a sale so we can reach our target, you know, which Been is something yeah. a lot of people do, right? Like they will achieve that number that at the end of the month. And I was at, at, in 2020, I said, you know what? I don't want to do this anymore. And this was not pandemic related. We had uh, consciously made this decision that we were not going to do sales anymore. We could do clearance sales, which would, you know, which is a part of like uh, on our website, we have a final sales section and we can get rid of those because we, those, that's like dead weight for us. We want to get rid of that inventory because it's not been selling for some time. So, but this is when um, I think one of the things that we as a company did is we decided that we were going to donate the N95 masks, to hospitals and healthcare workers. I was able to source these masks from China through a factory that was creating them, making them, and they were shipping it to the US. And, you know, there was so much of uh, problems at that time, like people were not able to get in the very beginning. And so that's what I did. I said that for every purchase on my website, I'm going to donate this, these many masks. And I donated a total of about 30,000 masks. And I feel like that kind of made people say that, okay, look at this company, you know, in pandemic when all the other companies are really not even doing, they're not even able to survive. They are still thinking of how they can help because it's all about science, you know? So we, we kind of brought in that angle of, you know, masks help because it's scientific that they should be helping. Yes. Right? So so we, we made a lot of these things about science will win, science needs to help, and science is important, and we need to understand the importance of this. When there was like this whole segment that said that our oh, masks are nothing, right? Like So that's when we kind of made this, this statement. And a lot of people said, you know what, we need to support this company, and we need to do something. And so there were people who were saying that, you know what, I don't even go out of my house but I want to support you. So I'm going to shop from you. And yeah. that's something that kind of helped us. So I think a lot of people started feeling connected to the company in some way and almost said that we, we want you to never have any issues because of the pandemic. And so we're going to continue buying from you. You are reminding me so much of Fawn Weaver. If y'all have not listened to the Fawn Weaver episode, go back and listen because these two episodes really tie together very well because what you both do extremely well is you insert yourself and make yourself relevant in the conversation of your consumer with, without it being intrusive, it's authentic and it's aligned with your brand. So for you, you're saying we're all about science and empowering women in that field to, you know, be themselves. Um, But also what is going on in their daily lives. That's also important to them you know, the pandemic's happening. That is a huge, huge, you know, conversation around science. And I'm sure so many, you know, um, like women in STEM were like pulling their, their hair out because it's just like, why are we even having this conversation? Exactly. And so you inserted yourself in the conversation, like her friend to say, yes, we agree. Now let's meet you where you're at. Cause Fawn did the same thing. It's that similar. She did the N95 mask for her team, their, their families is that they were like, we're going to get all of this out and we're going to send it out to anybody who has family in those fields. And it's going to be on us. We'll send it out thousands of dollars. It doesn't really matter. Like it's not about us making money. It's about serving these people that we care about. That became a story and also really became built more brand affinity of people saying, this is more than just, a whiskey brand like what you did this is more than just an e-commerce brand this is a lifestyle this is a company that cares so that is amazing that you were able to insert yourself in that way but in an authentic way that's like not bandwagoning so i'm i'm also really curious cuz you're you're the way you market is it's very story like it is it feels like very interwoven and another thing that you mentioned 
you've done well is you've gotten really great word of mouth and I can see why. One way you've done that is through influencers. I know so many e-commerce companies, this is what they struggle with. They're like, how do you do it? How do you approach them? How much do you pay? Do you pay? So how do you approach the influencer marketing side of things? It is a wild west. We know that it works in some regards. It doesn't in others. There isn't really a very good way to track. And it's kind of up to the discretion of the the, the influencer to decide. So how have you navigated influencer marketing and, and been able to increase your word of mouth because of it? So one of the uh, simplest ways that I have been able to do it, and I have done, I'm doing a lot more of it this year, is that some of the customers of uh, Swaha decided to get together and start this Facebook page called Buy, Sell, Trade, which is basically used Swaha clothing, right? And I actually encouraged it. You know, a lot of people feel like, oh, but that takes away from your margins because people are not buying or new clothes now and they're going to buy used clothes. But, you know, something, I'm actually a part of that group myself because I love to hear the conversations people have about my brand. The best part for me in that as these are all professional women. My customers are professional women who are either teachers, educators, or women in STEM. So one day I just posted over there saying that, hey, you know, I want to reach out to organizations that would support my, my brand or would like to partner with my brand not specifically influencers, but organizations like women in science organization or women in technology organization. And I mean, it's not surprising that all these women who were part of this group were members of one of those organizations. And they just reached out to me saying, hey, I know the, you know, the head of that organization. I will introduce you to them because I love your brand and I would love to help you in any way. I had about 50 people within the first one hour after me posting it, send me emails, introducing me to some associations, some organizations, some group of women. And that is how I have been. I do giveaways with them. I do special promotion for them. I sometimes even get together with a company like the Women in Science organization helped worked with me to make a mask that says because science. And they sold it, they posted the link to their members, which is like in thousands, right? Because it's a, it's a America, like a Pan-America organization, which is women in science, right? So instead of going for influencers who might not necessarily care about science or STEM, I decided to work with organizations that are based, their whole basis is STEM, right? So that was one of the ways I, I used to get more people to find out about the brand. And then, of course, there were some influencers that reached out to us saying that, hey, we love, I mean, if they, we saw them wearing our clothes and, and they tagged us on their Instagram. And that's when we reached out to them saying, hey, we'll send you more things, right? Because you love our brand. And they have so many followers. Uh, for example, uh, actress from Big Bang Theory. Yeah. She's a, she's a scientist herself. So she actually wore, and she didn't charge us anything. She just I loved love our that. clothes. And she told us, hey, why don't you send me some clothes? And we sent it to her and she wore them. And she wrote such a nice, uh, you know, like a passage about me, about how she loves what I do and about the company. And that got us so much publicity. And, and I feel like my brand somehow resonates with people in a very different way because they feel it, you know. And that's why I I've never really had to pay an influencer till now to actually wear my clothes i just have to sometimes send them something where i don't they don't have to pay for the clothes but i think that's the least i can do as a brand so my yes. marketing expense in that sense is really the cost like, of goods so, yeah yeah, just yeah. The cost <laughs> of goods and the roi is exponential cost of goods and shipping and the roi is amazing and the one thing i want to call out here that just keeps being a, a repetitive theme that I, I want everyone listening to look out for is that it's not about going wide, it's about going focused and really aligning. And what you've done so extremely well is say, we're not here to be for everybody. We're here to be for this person. That's who we serve best. And we're going to show up for them. And those people, it, it resonates in your, your products. Like the thing that stood out just about what you just said, like I even felt like chills because I say this to myself all the time is that there's this quote I have in in my room that says, it's not about what they hear, it's about what they feel. 
And the fact that you make them feel the language you all use because you can stand in their shoes and say, I see you, I am you, and this is for you. They feel that. That's why you have these people coming where founders come to us and say, I want to do influencer. You know, they want to go so wide. And it's like, if you can find the people that resonate on your level, like, and really feel everything you're doing, like it becomes a partnership instead of a transaction, which I think you've done incredibly, incredibly well. And your, your, your storytelling and the alignment there is just amazing. So on the marketing side, it's like, cause your background's not in marketing, right? No. <laughs> yeah. It's you, you. And I, I just had this conversation with the founder is that, you know, marketing really comes from you being able to empathize with your customer and understanding their language, how they talk. And then you just message that to them. Right. It's yeah. not, it doesn't have to be fancy jargon and, and you've done that so, so well. So with marketing, you, you've tested a couple of things and some things have worked, but are there areas where, or lessons you've learned about the things you've tested? It sounded like you all used to be like, oh my God, we're not hitting numbers. So we need to, you know, quickly do something else. What are some lessons you've learned from marketing this e-commerce business? I think the biggest lesson that I've learned is that we used to have our complete dependency on Facebook marketing. You know, oh, we would that. think that yes. <laughs> only money, the only business we got was by spending money on Facebook. And it's like a black hole, seriously. Yes. <laughs> and the, the and Facebook is becoming worse by the day, right? They keep changing their algorithm. Unless you pay them more, they will not oh, show your ads to people. Yeah. You don't even you can't even get your own followers to see what you post unless you pay for it. Wow. Right. So we just realized this like sometime, you know, middle of last year that our dependency on Facebook was way too much and we needed to move away from it. And so that's when we decided that it's better to partner with organizations that kind of have the same goal of women empowerment or helping women in any some way. And I feel like as long as we are authentic. And that we really care about science. We really care about research. We, for example, you know, I, I last um, in November, November was Diabetes Awareness Month. So I make sure that we always create one product which has some diabetes related design. It's insulin molecule or, you know, the diabetes awareness logo or something. And we make sure we donate the money for research, for, for finding a better cure for diabetes. September is cancer, childhood cancer awareness month. We make sure that we create a design and donate money for research for finding better cure for childhood cancer. So we do all of these things on a regular basis. So I feel like our customers start, start identifying that this company really cares. That kind of makes you be want to be associated with that company, right? So I think that we realize that we need to go after things like this like trying to partner with organization, maybe trying to, we are, we do love PR, of course. So we have someone who helps us write stories for us in magazines or uh, you know newspapers or blog posts where they will understand the customers are the people who would like our products. So we do those kind of things. But the biggest lesson I learned was to try and steer away from Facebook. I mean, it's not like we can move away from it completely because we still do get customers from there. But the amount of money, like you can spend thousands of dollars and get it's, nothing from it at times. It's it's not a good long-term strategy. Actually, one of our founders in our last cohort went through that. And especially in Q4, when retail, I mean, the behemoths stay up. There's, you can't compete. You can't compete with Nordstrom. You can't compete with all of those. And so they kept it on because that was their main strategy for acquiring. At some point, any channel is going to plateau for you. The most... The most important one is the ones you own, honestly, whether it's word of mouth, which is hard to really scale up, but like email marketing, things like that. Channels like what you're even saying is channels like Facebook, paid channels are meant to be compliments. They should not be your 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 base strategy whatsoever because you can't control it. That's really, really great advice. So speaking of advice, one of the things that is really important to us in terms of the scaling journey is learning, you know, from you in terms of your journey and what you would like to share with with other women entrepreneurs. What is some advice that you wish you would have gotten at the beginning of your journey that you would like to share with other women entrepreneurs? 
So I feel like one of the biggest things I experienced is having, first thing is having a great team that works with you, right? There'll always be people that you will hire thinking they're great and they might not turn out to be, but it's okay. (laughs) (laughs) It's okay. You know, you could have all kinds of problems, but if you find those few good people that align with your way of thinking, your goal for the company, then you need to take care of them and keep them. Make sure you don't lose them, right? That's the first thing. Because, yeah, it's not easy always to find people. You think, you'll think like when I started, I was was hiring for two positions at the beginning of January, thinking that, oh, there'll be so many people who would have probably gotten laid off because of the pandemic. I'll easily get a good person. Nope. (laughs) Doesn't work like that. So when you get a good person, hold on to them. Yes. Uh, Then the second thing is that you, you know, there'll be failures, there'll be points when you feel like, okay, this is not going well. You need to realize when to cut the cord and move on. Don't keep trying something that you've seen, you know, it's failing, it's failing, it's failing, and then you continue on and then, you know, you, you put all your money into it and then you realize, okay, I should have stopped this long time ago. And it could be a product category that you decided to go into, which is which you thought would be an amazing category, it would do really well for you, and it didn't. It's okay. Maybe that's not the right product for you. There'll be more products. You just have to find the right product and move on to that. The website thing, I wish I had moved from WordPress to Shopify a long time, you know, not even to learn. Yeah. eight months. <laughs> With WordPress, which I did, I, would, I should have moved faster, which I, I wish I had done that, but nobody had told me that. I, I just found Shopify and I, I think somebody sent me an email about it and I was like, oh, let's try this. And that's how it happened. I wish someone had told me that, okay, no, this is better. Please move fast. <laughs> yeah. Um, so that was the other thing. And then marketing. I mean, I feel like it's so much more important to, to grow your email marketing list, not by buying emails do not buy emails yes but by actually trying to figure ways to do that for example we did a giveaway a few days ago and we got 700 new email subscribers because they were interested in our product and that's why they signed up for that contest and they were all new people who didn't know about us so that's probably a better way to gain customers and email growing your email list is by far the most important thing because then you have direct access to these people and not like Facebook, where you have to keep paying them money to get access to people that you think might like your products. Yes. So I think these are like some of the main things. And I, I, I do feel like one of the biggest learnings that I have had my business is that this is, like I said, this is not the first business I started. This is my th- fourth business, actually. The first three failed. But, you know, I, I never gave up. I just kept trying. And now I have a successful business that I'm really proud of. I love what my company stands for. I love what I do. My job never feels like a job to me. It's something that I extremely enjoy doing. And, uh, you know, finally, it's been great. And no funding needed from anyone else. It's completely self-funded. Yes, that was a whole masterclass just in itself. And so many gyms, I think that the number one thing, because it's resonating so much with where we're at right now, is the talent side. Like nothing happens without the people. And I get a lot of women that come to us that we're naturally nurturers. So it's harder for us to let go and finding the right people. Like when they say slow to hire, quick to fire, it's so true. And I I think you, you still have to go through your, your, your experience to understand you don't know what you don't know. So, you know, don't be hard on yourself, but I think the way to improve what it sounds like you've done really well is which is very scientific of you. One of our experts always says to our our, mentor, our founders, you can't improve what you don't measure. And so if you're not measuring, whether it's the KPIs in your business, like revenue, where it's coming from, what's, you know, if you're, you have ads on, what's the ROI, not just letting them run, but also even on the people side, I recently had to let someone go because, you know, and I always do like short agreements before we even go all the way in. To understand, is this a fit both culturally, but also on the execution? And I just realized based on, you know, the the plan we put together that and, and measuring against it, those things weren't in alignment. And so I think if you're always measuring, you're able to always improve, even when you don't know, because you don't know until you try it. 
that helps you to keep getting better and better. I love that. So thank you for that little masterclass you just gave us. And at, at Get Shit Done, you know, we are, you know, the originators of the Fuck 4% movement. And as, you know, all you OG Get Shit Done queens out there understand, we say Fuck 4% because, you know, there's nearly 50% of entrepreneurs are women, but our companies only bring in 4% of total business revenues. So we love people like you that are kind of giving, or not kind of, but you are giving that 4% the middle finger because you're scaling on your own terms. So in your own words, how do you, how do you feel like you're giving 4% the middle finger and moving forward? How will you continue to do so? I feel like I have been, uh, to even get to where I am right now, I really didn't care about somebody deciding whether they want to fund my company or not. Believe me, I do get emails on a pretty regular basis where people do want to offer me with that uh, funding with that revenue. Yeah. Yes, they do. They, it, yeah. This is, I tell founders, if you have the traction, they will come. <laughs> they yes, will come. They do. So I, I have had, you know, companies from somebody, some investor from Canada, somebody from, you know, I mean all over, like I constantly have people and I tell them that, no, I have done this on my own and you will see me get to the hundred million mark on my own. And I really don't care about anybody's money. I mean, if I've been able to do what I've done till now, there's really no, reason why I shouldn't be able to. So yeah, I don't care. <laughs> yes, queen. And the, the final thing we, we always love to, to end on is support. So what are you working on today and, and how can our tribe support you? I mean, one, one of the biggest things that I want to do this year, my goal is to to try and say goodbye to Facebook. Not goodbye, but a smaller bye for the time being. A smaller so. bye, yes. <laughs> short term right like so I, I because I just feel like I just need to so I would love for everyone to you know if, if this is what you if this is something that you feel resonates with what you like what you do then come visit I, I would love I, I also have a space on my website where I interview women who are in STEM fields and talk about them so I promote them their businesses and it also kind of like gives me a chance to connect with other women who would be interested in what I'm doing or in my company that's just how I would like you know interact with everyone and hopefully you all can come and check out my website and support my business in some way thank you so much for listening to get shit done we hope you got the traction tips you need to grow your company on your own terms If you want to learn more traction tips like these from Badass Women Entrepreneurs Weekly, make sure to subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. And while you're there, queen, show us some love by rating and reviewing this podcast. This really helps us reach and serve more women like you in slaying their way to traction. And if you're looking for more support on your scaling journey, head on over to shegetsshitdone.com slash join, where you'll become a part of the movement of women entrepreneurs giving 4% the middle finger. And special shout out to our squad, Kayla Algie and Stephanie Montana for producing this episode. I also love hearing from you, friend. So head on over to the gram and hit me up at Get Shit Done Queen and let me know what did you learn or what do you want to learn more about? Until next time, Queen, I'm Alex Batdorf reminding you, you've got this. Now go out there and get shit done.